the way that I grew up, kindergarten through sixth grade was grade school. Somewhere along the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years, that's changed almost across uh, the globe as well, across especially the United States, where it's K through five is grade school, six through eight is middle school. For me, it was a seventh through ninth grade, and then 10th through 12th was high school for me, and now it's ninth through 12th, so some of that's kind of changed. But there's one common thread that, that runs through 99.9% of middle schoolers, and it's that lack of confidence. Everything's changing. Bodies are changing, mental, uh, spiritual, relational, uh, physical. Everything, every area of life is just strange, awkward. Anyone who survives middle school, which is everyone who's passed it, high five, nice work. That's tough years uh, for middle school. So for us, ninth grade, we were the big dogs. Still, I lacked a lot of confidence, and, and we actually had a ninth grade prom when I was a ninth grader. I was pretty excited about that, and uh, I knew that uh, whoever I asked would be thrilled to go with me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it was actually the opposite. I was scared to death, petrified to ask anyone because I figured I'd get rejected. So there was a girl that was in our student ministry. Her name was Kelly, and I thought, well, I'm going to ask Kelly to go. It was late April, and I said, Kelly, you know, would you be willing to go with me to prom? I probably muttered around, was looking at the floor, and muttered out something, and she reluctantly said, okay. <laughs> and so everything was set. We were all, all ready. So I went and got the corsage. You know, there's a corsage and, and had to wear a tux, ninth grade prom tux. Interesting. And my brother-in-law-to-be had a red Firebird convertible. And so as we didn't have our licenses yet, uh, he was going to drive us and take care of us with the top down, obviously, because it was April and fairly nice. Thank heavens it didn't rain. And made dinner arrangements, so I had saved money for two summers mowing lawns. At that point, I think I was getting, I don't know, five to ten bucks, probably a cut. And so it took a while, so I had all this money, so I'd already dumped a bunch of it. And I thought, we're going to go to the, the best restaurant I know, Red Lobster. <laughs> Very excited. We jump in my brother-in-law's car, pick her up, drive, get to Red Lobster, sit down at our table. The waitress comes over. Well, ma'am, what can I get for you? And I said, Kelly, anything you want on the menu. What doesn't matter. Anything you want. I thought, she's going to be conservative. She'll get chicken fingers and fries or fried shrimp and, fri shrimp and fries. $11.99, $12.99, something like that. So the next thing I hear is, yeah, I'd like the lobster tail. $29.95. <laughs> and I started to sweat. I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford this meal. 30 bucks for, I said anything. And so crackling voice, uh, uh, Miss, uh, do you charge for water with lemon? <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. I didn't ask it. So I went uh, conservative on the meal, and then she and I shared a dessert. She got soda. I got water. And after tip, we walked out. I had $8 left. So uh, you know, guys, make sure you plan well. Anyway, so we jumped in the firebird, went to the dance. That's a whole other story we'll get into a different day. Uh, and then finished the night out, and, and we were pressing on. But that entire time, even on the date, with the, the money I had to pay and the, the restaurant and, and even sitting by her and how close do I get to her? Do I try to hold her hand? Do I not? Do I dance with her? Do I not? Just totally lacked confidence. All of us can relate to that. We all, even in our lives right now, have areas where we lack confidence. How do I know that? Well, most of us 
or not Tracy Anderson who comes up and has a microphone and gets to, gets to sell. Oh, that was full-on confidence. Most of us are not Carl Kincaid, Waylon back in the back, or Tim Hodgson. So, so even that area for us from a singing perspective or a, a playing perspective would lack confidence. Trust me, you don't want me on a microphone or on a guitar or on the horn. It'd be terrible. I have no confidence in those areas. Why? Because I have no skill set. I appreciate the ones who do. You get the point. All of us lack confidence in particular areas. And so uh, John, in addressing, continuing to address the church, was writing to a people who were lacking confidence. We've talked for weeks now about false teachers who had infiltrated and who had caused the confidence of the individuals that were a part of that church family to be shaken. And their relationship with the Lord, their relationship with one another, uh, the way they perceived and knew God, all of those areas were disrupted. And they were struggling with some of those things. And and John came along in the passage we looked at last week, which we're going to reread a couple of those verses to today, where he wanted them to be confident in a couple of things in particular. One, that if they surrendered their life to Jesus, they were his. And number two, that when they prayed, when they communed with the Father, that God, the God of the universe, heard them, hears them, and that he hears us. He wanted them to have confidence in that fact. And so for us today, he's wanting us to have the same confidence, in particular in those areas, and in one additional area that we're going to actually start with in a moment. Before we pray, I want to read the passage for today, 1 John 5, 13 to 15, and then we'll pray and we'll start diving in. Here we go. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Let's pray together and we'll start. God, I'm so thankful for our graduates, for their families and for their parents and for those who have gone before and have had kids graduate and for those who are in the midst right now of having kids who are walking up to that point. God, for the investment that our parents who love you continually make in the lives of their kids and building this firm foundation relationally with you. God, I pray for uh, the four in particular who are with us this morning, uh, graduates, that they would truly far surpass what they even believe is possible relationally with you and with kingdom expansion and walking with you for all of their days. And once, if you give them their own families, oh Lord, them continuing in their walk with you, making a difference. Uh, God, I just pray that they would continue to be confident in who they are in you. And that although all of these outside voices are coming, that they would be driven back to your heart and remember what you say and what you tell us about our relationship with you and who you are. Uh, so help us this morning as we walk through these critical passages. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we actually dive into verse 13, which is one of my favorites in all of Scripture, I'll explain why in just a moment, there's a foundational piece that we need to address first, and that is God's Word. Without the stability, foundational truth of God's Word, if our lives are not built upon Him and built upon this Word, living 
word, then we will, in many respects, have a very shaky, stumbling foundation where instead of it being the picture of this big concrete block, it'll be several small stones that every step we take cause us to be unsettled or uncertain. God's word is from the very breath of him, inspiring those who are the writers to have written this, nearly 40 writers to put this together. Paul reminded us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, a foundational truth that we can be confident in. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipping for every good work. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.21 that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God, directly through these writers, spoke his word. They penned his word, and out of that, we have the formation of God's word, the Bible. In his article in July of 2011 titled, Why Should We Believe in the Inerrancy of Scripture? Inerrancy meaning without error, infallible. Brian Edwards wrote this. The Holy Spirit moved men to write. He allowed them to use their own styles, cultures, gifts, and character. He allowed them to use the results of their own study and research, write of their own experiences, and express what was on their minds. At the same time, the Holy Spirit did not allow error to influence their writings. He overruled in the expression of thought and in the choice of words. Thus, they recorded accurately all God wanted them to say and exactly how he wanted them to say it in their own character, styles, and languages. The inspiration of Scripture is a harmony of the active mind of the writer and the sovereign direction of the Holy Spirit to produce God's inerrant and infallible word for the human race. We need to have confidence that this is the living and active word of God. It is directly from him for us. It is only one of its kind, never to be produced again from the original production of these of letters, of these individuals, these men who wrote these letters and these books and being compiled into one. There are other uh, facts that we can speak of of God's word, but if our foundation is not set upon knowing that, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we are on shaky ground. It's important that we have that next. Verse 13, again, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. When I first became a believer, freshman year, big year, right? Prom and finding Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if prom's really included, but regardless, uh, freshman year was huge. And when I read this verse, this was a part of what was explained to me when the plan of salvation was gone over when I surrendered. This verse was of paramount importance. Why? Well, let's read it again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may hope that you have eternal life. So you may wonder that you have eternal life. No, that you may know. Why is that critical for a ninth grade middle school kid or a 45-year-old adult or a 5-year-old child or an 80-year-old adult? Why is it so important? Because God didn't want us to wonder. 
you know, oftentimes people walk through life and if you talk to them about eternity and what's coming and you ask them, are you ready? What's the day going to be like when you go before the throne of God? A lot of people answer this way. Well, I hope he accepts, accepts me in. I, I hope he, he says, welcome. I, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm a good person. I, I'm hoping that it all works out. Well, if that were the case, that all we had was hope based on our works, we would all be in big trouble. None of us are holy. None of us are righteous, not one. It is solely based on the blood of Jesus and the work on the cross that he does for us, taking our place or sin upon himself. It has nothing to do with us, our words, our actions. And we don't have to hope. We don't have to wonder. We can absolutely know the truth that if we surrender our lives to him, we are covered by the blood of Jesus. And that's permanent. It's important for us to have that beyond a feeling. Now, if we consider feelings or knowing, there, there, can be, there can be different reactions with that. A feeling is an emotion or, or a state of being. And oftentimes, if we live our lives by feelings, which all of us at times are prone to do that as well, depending on circumstances, our lives can be a picture of a roller coaster. Then there are times when we live in the fact of knowing something. Have you ever known something and been wrong? <laughs> That's happened to me before. I've, I've known a certain fact about something. Oh, I know it's true. Well, actually, you know, Darren, if you, if you look at the encyclopedia or the dictionary or you look at this, here, here's what it is. That, and I have to think, oh, I guess I was wrong. There are many in our world who know that they're going to go to heaven when they die because they were baptized as an infant. They know that they're going to go to heaven when they die because they've done specific things to earn it, given enough money, whatever it is, lived enough of a good life. Okay, people who express that and say that are knowing something that is false, that is not scriptural, that is not biblical. The Bible tells us that we only can know that we have a relationship with him if we know that we're sinners, believe Christ died, and rose again on the third day, repent of our sin, turn away from our old life, run into a new life, the picture of baptism, what our life was like before, before we get baptized, our old life, our old life going down, being buried, done, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, and then coming up, representing our new life in Jesus. If, if that's not happened in our lives, if we've not surrendered, repented, turned away, run to him, and we're basing our salvation on something else, our salvation is based in, in a wrong statement, a wrong truism, whatever you want to say, however you want to express it. If we have not surrendered our lives to him and if we are not covered by the blood of Jesus, then we are not saved. And our eternity is a risk. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 tells us, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When we surrender our lives to him, those verses penned by Paul tell us that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit, that we can't lose 
our salvation. The work is done by Christ, not done by us. And so John was reminding these believers, listen, those who are true in the faith are the ones to whom I'm writing. The others have left. The false teachers are gone. The people that didn't believe the truth have left. You are true believers, and your confidence rests in him. It doesn't rest in yourself. So take heart. You're sealed in him. And then with that, if we have surrendered our lives to him, we should mimic or model or as if Jesus were living in our place, walk the planet in humility as he did. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used, to be grasped to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So whether people want to recognize it or realize it on this planet or not, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. When they go before God in judgment, that will happen. When we do, that will happen. If the blood of Jesus covers our sin, we're his. We're with him forever, if not separated. We've talked about that truth before. But John was reminding the church, listen, you don't have to wonder. If you are found in him, you can know. And then he goes on and begins to talk about and address this area of prayer, which we've seen repeatedly uh, in the New Testament. Uh, he's talked about prayer a lot in this letter. But in 14, he says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Okay, that, that can be tricky. There are individuals who distort the truth of what these verses are. You know them, and I do too, as the name it and claim it. I can go out tomorrow and I can say, I'm going to have a million dollars next Tuesday. God, give it to me. million dollars. Next Tuesday rolls around people that I told. Where's the million? Uh, it's next Tuesday, right? So we, we can try to subordinate God to our will in saying, you're going to do this for me, and then try to force him or, or fit him into this box to, to do this work in our lives because we are naming it and claiming it. Okay, that's probably not the reality of most of us, of any of us. In fact, I don't think anyone um, within our entire church family in the last 14 years have ever said to me, I told God yesterday, he's going to give me a million bucks. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, well, okay, I'll be right there with you. Where are we going, Red Lobster? So uh, I'm, getting the, I'm getting the lobster tail. I never got it. All right. Uh, good memories. Uh, no, most of the time it kind of plays out like this. A uh, member of our family or someone super close to us gets sick. And we pray for healing. And if, for whatever reason, God's will doesn't align with that, and that individual doesn't get healed, and if we're not praying in the way that John's talked to us about, may your will be done. 
then we can become frustrated, angry, bitter, and distance ourselves from the one to whom we've claimed to be our God and King. And that's a harsh and a hard reality for us at times because there are times when we pray, even though we believe that we're in the will of God and the way we're praying, that he chooses to answer differently. Sometimes he doesn't even fully reveal that answer to us. And it's challenging for us as we walk through to navigate that. Well, God, I thought that I was praying according to your will. Have you seen the, the Jeremy Camp movie? Uh, it's really good about his life story. It addresses this to a degree where <clears throat> he consistently prayed that God would heal his wife. God didn't heal his wife. And so he went into this season of turmoil and struggle where he just wondered. I mean, the, it really is worth watching um, uh, if you haven't got to. At the end of the movie, what took place is that obviously he returned to the Lord. And, he, of course, his ministry has been amazing uh, since that time. But he realized in the process of that that he was trying to bend the will of God to him instead of the other way around. We think of Jesus in the garden. Father, if it's your will, would you take this cup from me? But if it's not your will, may your will be done. What happened? Jesus went to the cross and he was crucified for us, taking the sin of humankind upon himself. He bent his will, the Son of God, to his Father. And that's what John's talking about. In our prayer life, we're to bend our wills, yield ourselves to the Father, knowing that and having confidence in He does hear us. But in the midst of that, to know that not only is He good to us, but that He's going to answer upon His own accord. He's God. And for us in the meantime, regardless of how difficult it is, to be able to say, I'm, I'm good with that. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Christ Jesus, whom you have sent. In the midst of that, people will see the very fragrance of Jesus in our lives poured out in the midst of our own challenges and struggles. You know, one of the most amazing things to know that God can hear us is that we can literally go to him with anything. I mean, it's the picture of Adam and God in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, uh, even pre-Eve, when they were walking together in the stillness of the garden, open relationship and conversation. And then, of course, sin took place, and they were displaced and spelled, and, and we know that born into sin comes after that. But, but that's the picture of what God wants with us, the day-in, day-out communion of just walking talking to him. He knows every part of our lives anyway. Why would we think that in Genesis 3 we could be like Adam and Eve and we could grab some fig leaves and hide some things from him? Well, he knows this part of my life, but he doesn't really know this part. He knows every hair in our head. They're numbered. And so why wouldn't we express from the depths of our lives where we're hurting, struggling, our joys, all of it together? That's what he desires of us again Whatever your will is, God, I'm praying for this according to your will. One of the most amazing couple of verses, James 5, 17 through 18, tells us about these, this area of prayer, uh, the mercy and blessing of God in the midst of it, that at times not only does he hear us, but he does answer us because we are praying 
in as well. Elijah was a man, human being, just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Can you imagine that? God, please don't let it rain. Be it your will. It didn't rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced his crops according to his will. That, that, is, that is so key. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and then he prayed that it would. If faith is small as a mustard seed, can move mountains. We've heard that verse before. The way we intercede for individuals is critical. Proverbs 21, the, the king's heart is like a water course or a waterfall. God can move in any direction that he wants. We see the Gospels talk about these individuals who go to Jesus and ask, and then he talks about how individuals go to God in prayer, the Father, and how they repeatedly go, and how God hears. And at times, the repeated request, the, 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 the duration of prayer, the time that we pray for those who are lost, God answers. People are saved in unusual ways. I think at times we get stuck, where we think that we've got to be the ones that leads someone else to the Lord. Of course, he's the one who does the work, but there are times when we're just seed planters. Consistent intercession, praying for those in our lives with whom God has given us his responsibility to be able to love and communicate truth and the gospel. Duration is important. We're also called the stillness. It's hard for us. We've talked about that before too. There's this aspect, an area of solitude that's important for us to really engage the Lord. Again, I think of that picture of God and Adam by themselves walking in the garden, how we need that time with him, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the moment we've mentioned he and the Father only. If we're not getting that time, if we're not spending moments in stillness, if we're not listening, if we're only speaking, then how in the world can we effectively obey in here? It's a discipline in our lives that is important and that it keeps in front of us one of God's names, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. Three foundational truths that can produce confidence. God's word is inerrant and infallible. His very voice through the Holy Spirit to the authors, the only one of its kind, our life guide. We can have confidence in that it is true, that it is God's word, and that it really speaks to every and any situation, relationship, person, circumstance, giving us truth and a guide. We can have true confidence in our salvation, that if we surrendered our lives to him, we are his, it will never be taken. And then we can have confidence and we pray, God hears us. And at times we will understand and see clearly, sometimes even immediately answers, and sometimes we won't. But trusting the sovereign God in the midst of all of it. Seniors, here we go. Challenges are coming. And God has great things in store for your life. It's not just a cliche. And you've got a whole lot of people who want to help you. Will you let us?
You're not wandering off by yourselves. We're with you. Caroline Shipley, you're deep. Others who have gone past that, Zach, Caleb, who are walking with the Lord and striving and have gotten past that initial wave. Net. Adults. You've got support. Last thing. This is a bonus aim. <laughs> Based on what you said. Um, I encourage you, if you're going away to school, find a church, join it, and start serving right away. A Bible-believing, solid church. Move your membership. You'll still be a part of this. That never changes. But if you don't do that, by experience, and after being a student pastor for 20-plus, and seeing students who left and didn't have a, a firm determination, I'm going to stay engaged, I'm going to stay involved, and I'm going to serve. Most of the ones who did not make that decision fell out. And years later, with bucket loads of regret, said if they could go back and redo, they would. That's the experience of a lot of students that are graduating from high school. Don't allow that to be your story. Go and serve. Some have said, and then we'll end it. College is just special. It's years, 18 to 22, 24. Everyone kind of walks away. It's all right. Man, it's not all right. If God's limited, it's fine. If God's plan for your life can be put on hold, and that's his intention, <laughs> fine. But that's not his intention, and that's not his plan. His plan is for you to strive and thrive and make a difference. Will you? We got your backs.